0: I want to ask you two questions that you know the answer is yes to, but which actually sometimes you might question if yes is really true. And the first question is this, are you one of God's people? Are you one of God's people? Yes, you know you are. But my guess is that sometimes you might question if you really are. And the second question I want to ask you is this, can God use someone like you? Can God use you? Again, the answer that is yes, but sometimes the answer for you might not be yes. And why is the answer no sometimes in our own hearts or minds? Why do we doubt those things sometimes? I think it's because of sin. I don't know about you, but the, the times when I am most tempted to really question if I'm one of God's people is whenever I'm really struggling with sin, or whenever I fall into a sin that I thought that I was above, when something just comes out of my mouth that I no longer thought should come out of my mouth as a Christian, when something comes into my mind that I no longer thought should be in my mind as a Christian, Whenever sin gets a hold of me, whenever I give in to temptation, whenever I fail and I fall, and that question, are you really one of God's people, well, it sometimes is called into question in my mind. And it's exactly the same for the question, can God use someone like me? And maybe that's the same for you. See, the thing that makes me think that God can't use me, the thing that makes me question whether God could really use someone like me, it's the sin problem again. It's that I am flawed, that I am weak, that I fail with my words and thoughts and actions. And I wonder sometimes, can God really use someone like me? I know that I'm a minister, but because I sin, I wonder sometimes, can God use me effectively? Can he use me how he really wants to, or is my sin going to stop him doing this? And my guess is that as you sit here this evening, at times you can think those two things too. Maybe you can question and, and you doubt whether you're really one of God's people because you, you find that you've sinned and you sin in ways you, you never thought you would or could. Or maybe you think that God couldn't use someone like you because you struggle with sin. Well, tonight, you're hopefully going to be encouraged. Tonight, you're hopefully going to leave here later on with the answer of those two questions as being a solid yes. You're going to leave here later, hopefully saying, yes, do you know what? I am one of God's people because God has chosen me and he's at work in me and he's got me. And I can be used by God because even in spite of my weakness and failures, God is a God who uses sinful people we see this in the life of Samson. You see, Samson in some ways, well, his life is like Christ's. In some ways, Samson is, is a mirror of the Lord Jesus Christ to come. It's interesting, isn't it? That verse from Romans, me and you as Christians, were meant to be made into the more likeness of Christ. Our lives are meant to resemble the life of Christ. And it's really interesting with Samson because his life in some ways resembles the life of Christ. There, there's three ways it does. First of all, there's a special birth. It's amazing, isn't it? Chapter 13, it starts off with the angel arriving to this lady, Manoah's wife, who is barren, who is childless. And an angel appears and she says to him, says to her, you're going to have a son. You're going to conceive and you're you're going to bear a son. And what's he going to do? He's going to begin saving Israel from the enemy of the Philistines. This is a, a miraculous birth. This is a an amazing birth. This is a special birth. And you see immediately how it parallels the Lord Jesus, don't you? Do you remember what the angel said to Mary? Behold, you shall conceive and, and bear a son, and you're to call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Samson's life, it, it it mirrors Christ in some way. It's got this special birth. And then as you as you read the life of Samson, you see that... He, he does these powerful acts which are empowered by the Spirit. Throughout his whole life, he does these things that are beyond human capability, but they're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do. So there's the lion that comes at him. And this lion, this young lion, chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, and behold, a young lion came towards him, roaring. That would be scary, wouldn't it? But Samson, what does it say? Verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him to see the empowerment by the Spirit. And what does it say? Although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion to pieces as one tears apart a young goat. This powerful act. And then you've got the thousand Philistines who come to get him. And what does he do? Well, he, he takes up a very unconventional weapon, a jawbone of a donkey. Strange, isn't it? And he, he fights them off with this jawbone of a donkey. And again, if you read there, you'll see it's this Spirit of the Lord that's empowered him. Have a look at halfway through uh, verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put it on his hands and took it and with it struck a thousand men. He was able to do these amazing, powerful acts having been empowered by the Spirit of God. And again, you you see it pointing to Jesus, don't you? Jesus, just as he's about to start his public ministry he's baptized by john in the river jordan and and he comes up out of the water and the spirit of god descends upon him like a dove and rests upon him symbolically showing that he has been empowered by the spirit of god for the ministry he's about to take part in and then he does all of these amazing acts all empowered by the spirit he he cleanses he he cleanses the lepers like we heard this morning he raises the dead he he makes blind men see he opens up deaf ears so Samson's life, in some ways, it, it, it's, it's a reflection of, of Christ. And then the third way, well, it's his victorious death, isn't it? It's his victorious death. He's married to Delilah, and, and she's married him simply in the hope of seducing him to get the reward. Did you notice it, what she was offered? 1,100 pieces of silver per person If she was able to reveal to the Philistines what Samson's strength was. So she nags him and nags him and nags him and finally gets the answer out of him. And then she betrays him. Then Samson is taken and he's humiliated. He has his eyes gouged out and he's beaten harshly. And he's imprisoned. And then he's brought out before everybody and he's humiliated. But then in his death, then in his death, he is victorious. See, what happens at the end is that he's brought into the temple of Dagon and all the Philistines are rejoicing at how great and powerful their God is. Oh, Dagon has given us, in, given him into our hands. Look at our God. Look what he's done. You see, the Philistines are enemies of God and their God is an enemy of the true God. And what does Samson do in his death? He's victorious over them. He, he pushes the pillars He opens up his right and his left hand and he pushes the pillars. And he dies in the midst of this crush. But the enemies of God are defeated. And Dagon, the enemy of God, is crushed. And you see how it points us to Jesus, don't you? You see how that life of Samson in some ways reflects the life of Christ. It was only 30 pieces of silver, wasn't it? that Judas betrayed him for. And then he was taken and they humiliated him, didn't they? They they put on the crown of thorns on his head and they they put on the purple robe around him. And they got down and they they mock-worshipped him. They spat upon him. And they led him out to be humiliated more by dying on a cross. But as Jesus' right and left hand were stretched out on that cross and as he bowed his head in death, He defeated the enemies of God, sin and hell, and Satan himself. You see, Samson, in in some ways, his life reflects the life of Christ. In some ways, he's like Jesus. (laughs) But in so many ways, he's not. Isn't that true? In so many ways, he's not. Um, And we'll get on to how he's not like Christ, but... But before we get on to that, I, I just want to clear up that Samson was one of God's people. Samson was a believer, if you like. And some people, they, they, they look at his life, and they look at what he did, and they look at how he lived, and they think to themselves, how could someone like that, how, how can you say someone like that is really a believer? Well, there's lots of evidence to show that he's a believer. And, and let me point to, to three places. First of all, let me point to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, it's that famous part of Hebrews where the writer kind of recounts all of the great men and women of faith, all these people who were saints, all of these people who are being kind of cheered on for for who they were, that they were God's people. And it's really interesting because it has people like Abraham and Moses and and all of these great people who did great things. But you notice who's there. Look at the bottom of your, your handout, verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, and quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. But we see it here in the New Testament, don't we? Samson is considered by God as one of his people. Lord believer? Absolutely. A believer who struggled with sin and, and did things that we struggled to, to understand how a believer could do? Absolutely. But he was a believer according to Hebrews chapter 11. And we also see it in a couple of ways within our passage. First of all, we see it in that he was a man of prayer. Now, he, It doesn't seem he prayed very much, but we find two places in these chapters where he prayed. We don't have chapter 15 printed out, but in chapter 15, there's a point where he needs a drink and he cries out to God to provide for him. He asks God for provision. And then we see him praying again in chapter 16 whenever he's brought into the temple of Dagon and he prays for strength that he could bring the house down. He prays to God. He's a man of prayer, which is, again is another indicator that he's a believer, that he's one of God's people. But the biggest, the biggest piece of evidence that he's one of God's people is his birth and, and what he was claimed for by God. You see, God had chosen him before the foundation of the world for a job. The angel appears and the, the angel says of his birth and the angel says he's going to save the Philistines or start to, save them from, start to save the Israelites from the Philistines. He was chosen by God before he was even born. And then whenever he was of age, he was set apart as a Nazarite. Now you and I are sitting here tonight and we go, what is a Nazarite? Good question. A Nazarite was someone, it's described in Numbers chapter six. And, and they take a period of their life and they dedicate that period of their life to God for a special task. And so maybe, let's say, there was a team of us deciding to go on a short-term mission to Romania next summer. We might go down to the temple and declare ourselves to be Nazarites for the time we're away. And so what that would mean was that the time we're away on a mission, we won't shave our heads. We'll let our hair grow. And we won't touch alcohol. And we won't touch a dead body. Because these are the signs that you're a Nazarite. That outwardly you're saying, inwardly I'm dedicated to God. So a Nazarite is someone who's dedicated to God for a purpose, for a short time. And they show outwardly they're dedicated by not letting their hair get cut, by not drinking alcohol, and by not touching dead corpses. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because before Samson is born, God says to his mother, your son shall be a Nazarite from the moment he's born until his death. And it's interesting isn't it? because, because Samson isn't making himself a Nazarite. God has elected him to be a Nazarite. God has chosen him to be set apart. God has chosen him to be different. God is the one who, who makes him a Nazarite. That word Nazarite, it simply means set apart. Sanctified, it's similar to the New Testament word saint. That's the idea. God declares him to be a saint from the moment he's born until the moment he's died. Set apart by God to be a saint. Samson was one of God's people. And the reason why I'm I'm making such a, a strong kind of description of that, the reason why I'm making such a big claim about that is because his life was so unlike Christ. His life was so flawed. His life was so messed up. Samson was a, a walking disaster when it came to sin. You see, he had a life that was completely marred by it. And we see it in lots of ways in our passages. We first of all see him just kind of, all the, all the vows of a Nazarite, he, he just breaks them all. He's no regard for his special status. So a Nazarite, they're not meant to, to drink alcohol, They're not meant to touch a dead body, and they're not meant to have their head, their hair cut. And he has all of these broken, doesn't he? We see him, first of all, with the alcohol in, in, in chapter 16, verse 10. He's getting married, and so what we're told is his father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there for so the young men used to do. And that word feast, in the original language, it means drinkings. He prepared drinkings there. He was getting married to this woman, and what did he do? He, he arranged a big drinking session. But just to say, the, the Bible does not say that Christians can't have alcohol. It doesn't say that. But Nazarites were not meant to have any. They weren't meant to touch the stuff. And here, he, he totally disregards that. And he prepares a good big drinking session for his wedding. And then they weren't meant to touch dead bodies. And again, he just disregards this, doesn't it? You saw it when he fought the lion. He, he killed the lion with his bare hands. And then he goes back to home at some point, and he's coming back to Timnah. And on his way, it's like he retraces his steps. Oh, I remember when it came down here, and that was the big lion. And he gets to where it was, and there's the carcass lying. And inside the carcass, the, the bees have made a, a beehive, and there's honeycombing. What does he do? He totally disregards it disregards what he's not meant to do, and he, he touches the lion's carcass. He gets the honey out of it. And then again, we see it whenever it comes to, to fighting off the Philistines He's have come to get him. He, he takes the fresh jawbone of a donkey. There's a the donkey decomposing. This will make a handy tool, and he, he touches it, and he grabs it. He touches the dead body. And then there's the hair, isn't there? He knew Delilah would have it cut off. The last three things she told him she'd had done to him. He knew that she'd have it cut off. But he told her anyway. He didn't care. Had the, the hair shaved from his head. He, he broke his Nazarite voice. He also broke just many other of God's rules and his commandments. Honor your father and your mother. It was one of the the fundamentals. It was one of the pillars of Israelite society. And parents, they were so revered. They were to be honored. They were to be obeyed. But it's really interesting, isn't it? Because in verse 14, verse 3, you see him have complete disregard for his parents goes and he sees this woman in Timnah who's a Philistine and he wants her and what does it say in verse three but his father and his mother his parents said to him is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines and how does he respond to this advice how does he respond to this possibly even command of his parents Samson said to his father get her for me she's right in my eyes Listen, Dad, don't care what you're saying to me. Don't care how you feel about this. I want her. Go get her. Complete dishonor for his parents. Complete dishonor. And then what else do we see? We we see that Samson is a man who just lives out of lust. He just follows his desires doesn't check them against God's word, doesn't check them against what God wants. He, he just sees and he wants and he takes. The woman in Timnah, he, he saw her. And Jesus is what he said again to his father. She's right in my eyes. Okay, God, she might not be right for me according to what you think. She might not be right for me according to what the scriptures think, but she's right in my eyes. He sees women with his eyes and he wants them and he takes them. Before he sees Delilah and marries her, he goes down and he, he sleeps with a prostitute. And, and Samson is a man who is just completely consumed with lust. Consumed with just going after what he wants. With complete disregard for God's word. And even the fact he intermarries with the Philistines. Again, do you remember whenever they were about to go into the land for a few weeks ago? And one of the commands God said was, do not intermarry with them because they'll take you away from me. And yet the only people he's interested in are the Philistine women. Samson is a man who is completely and utterly flawed. He's a man who sins over and over and over again. And I think that the root of his sin is pride. Do you know what? I'm the Nazarite. I've been chosen by God. I'm strong. I'm powerful. He's pride. And he feels so strong. He, he, he thinks that he can stand in some ways against God and, and God's word. He's pride. It's the underlying sin under the other sins, I think. He's a sinful flawed man and there's something else that is interesting about samson he's what i would call a reluctant believer he's one of god's people but at the same time he kind of wishes he wasn't he's one of god's chosen ones but he kind of wishes that he hadn't been chosen by god He's to live a certain way under God's rule. But he wishes that he didn't have to. And we see this in a number of ways. We see, first of all, that this is actually what the whole of the Israelites were feeling at this time. They were under the the rule of the Philistines. They were living under their rules, living under their laws, living under their commands. They'd embraced their way of life. And the Philistines' way of life, it was, well, different from the way God would have had them live but they'd embraced it. And how do we know they embraced it? We know because of what happens at the very start of chapter fourteen. Sorry, of 13. We know the pattern, don't we? We've seen it over the past number of weeks. The people do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Then the Lord sends oppressors. Then the people cry out. And then God sends a deliverer. But not here. Look at it. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. That's it. There's no crying out. They're not asking to be rescued from the Philistines. They're not asking to be saved from the Philistines. No, because they're just quite glad they're living under the Philistines, they like their culture. They like their way of life. They like it better than the life that God has for them. And this is the same with Samson. I think one of the reasons why he kept going to the Philistine women, why he kept going to the Philistines, was because he wanted to be like them. He didn't want to be separate. He didn't want to be different. He didn't want to be a saint. He didn't really want to be one of God's people. Even though he was, he longed desperately not to be. And it's really sad because if you look at verse 17 of chapter 16, do you see what Samson says when he finally tells Delilah that it's his hair? And he told her all his heart and he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. So he says, listen, I'm a Nazarite. I've been a Nazarite my whole life. Delilah, I've been set apart my whole life. I've been a saint my whole life. I've been one of God's people my whole life. The strength I have is from my head. And then look what he says if my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. But you see his longing? I just want to be like other men. Delilah, I'm telling you this so that you'll shave my head and so that I'll just become like any other man. It's interesting that the text tells us that he loved Delilah. And it's almost like he's telling her this in the hope that that once his head is shaved and he's no longer set apart, that he's no longer one of God's people, that she'll accept him and love him back but of course he's just in it for the money. But you see that there, don't you? He's a reluctant believer. He's set apart by God. He's one of God's people, but but he doesn't really want to be. Folks, I don't know about you, but I relate to something. And my guess is that you do too. I'm sure at times that just have felt so sinful that you've questioned whether or not you're one of God's people. But my guess is at times also you don't want to be one of God's people. Maybe you look at the culture around you. You look at what your friends do. You look at what your unbelieving family do. You look at how people live. You look at their values. You look at their lives. You you look at the fact they don't really care about big issues or moral values. You see the freedom they seem to have. And maybe you can find within your own heart that you actually don't want to really be one of God's people even though you are. Can you resonate with that? You see, I think we're all like Samson. I think we're all like him at different times in our lives. I'm not saying we're continually like him, but I think at different times we are like Samson. And what I want to say to you, if you're here tonight and you really resonate with him, if you're here tonight and you resonate with him because you're sinful and you're struggling with sin and you're flawed and you keep making the same mistakes again, and you're really dealing with doubt of your salvation because of sin, what I want to say to you is that God knows you're a sinful person and God has saved you. God knows what you're struggling with, but God has saved you just because you're struggling with sin, what I want to say to you is it doesn't mean you're not one of God's people. It means you're one of God's people who's fighting sin. Another thing I want to say to you is if you find yourself, your heart's divided, you are one of God's people, but you don't want to be sometimes, what I want to say to you is this, that that is not unusual, that it's not abnormal. But I want to know that God has you he won't let you go he won't let you go and regardless of your sin and regardless of your divided heart god can also use you he used samson he can certainly use someone like you now please don't mishear the message that i'm trying to preach because whenever you preach a message like this, people can actually mishear you. So let me just clarify a couple of things I'm not saying. The first thing I'm not saying is don't fight against sin. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying don't give it. I'm not saying don't say that sin's no big deal. I'm not saying that you should accept sin in your life. I'm not saying that, okay? That's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't fight sin. I'm not saying accept sin. You see, you and I, we're in a better position than Samson because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people to empower them for service. And in the New Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon people and it gives them gifts for service. But in the New Testament, we also see that the Holy Spirit comes upon people and it empowers them to stand against sin. In the New Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon people and it gives them new hearts a new character. It produces fruit, not just gifts. So I'm not saying here tonight. Listen, if you're if you're struggling with sin, don't worry about it and just leave it. I'm not saying that. We should be fighting sin. We should be resisting temptation. In the power of God's Spirit, we should be taking on board the Word and trying to live in light of it. So I'm not saying just accept sin and don't fight it. That's not what I'm saying. The other thing I'm not saying is that it's okay to live with a foot in both camps. It's not. You will be miserable. If you live as a Christian who's trying to live both lives, you know God's called you, you know you're one of his people, but you're just attracted by the world and you're trying to live both lives, you're just going to be a miserable Christian. Because you won't be able to sin with all your heart, you'll be miserable. So I'm not saying continue that journey with a foot in both camps. What I'm encouraging you to do instead is do what the Spirit has empowered you to do and take a step for Jesus and live wholeheartedly for him. I want to say to you, if if you're living with a feet in both camps, the only way you're ever going to be happy is by walking in obedience to God. So I'm not saying if you're in two camps or you've got this divided heart that it's okay and you'll have a good time living like that. You won't. But what I am saying to you is this, that if you find yourself in this position tonight, struggling with sin or a foot in both camps, what I'm saying to you is if you find yourself in this position tonight, God can use you just as you are. And you're one of God's people just as you are. How can I say that with such confidence? Because of the victorious death of Jesus. All that sin you regret, all that sin you struggle with, all that sin that feels that it's got you ensnared. Christ has died, that, that could be forgiven. A victorious death. God is sovereign over our salvation from the beginning to the end. And tonight, if you're in the midst of as trial with sin, if you're in the midst of living in two camps, what I want you to be assured of is that God has got your hand and he's not going to let you go. And even in your weakness, even in your failure, he can use you for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we resonate with Samson more than we perhaps would like to at times. At times we're ensnared at feels by sin, unable to fight or resist. At times we willfully just disregard your word and, and we live after our own heart's desires rather than your desires for us. And Lord, we want to thank you tonight for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you tonight for the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. But Lord, help us to recognize that you want us to fight sin and you want us to live wholeheartedly for you. But even when we fail to, even when we mess it up, We're still one of your people and can still be used by you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name.